Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Deep Transformation. Our conversation today with Roger and myself with Terry Patton. And this conversation we had with Terry was a few weeks before he passed. He had inoperable cancer. He knew he was on the way out. And this is what he had to share. Man was translucent, full of wisdom and compassion. And this is not to be missed. God bless. Thanks. Welcome to Deep Transformation. Self, society, spirit life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. I'm Roger Walsh, and my co-host here is John Dupuy. And with us today is a truly remarkable man, a, a longtime friend, I'm happy to say, a colleague, a person who, whose life and work I deeply honor. Uh, and this is Terry Patton. Terry is a long-term spiritual practitioner. He's done years of deep, intensive, life and heart-changing practice. And he is also a, an intellectual force um, to be reckoned with. He is an integral scholar and practitioner and speaker and publicist. He's published uh, several books, uh, Integral Life Practice, and his own A New Republic of the Heart, an ethos for revolutionaries. And that the title of that book speaks to a lot of what Terry does because Terry is a, an activist who is deeply involved with the issues of our time, but bringing a unique perspective. He's really interested in the changes of consciousness, of heart and mind that are required of us and that we're all called to if we're truly to address not only the outer symptoms of the planetary and social distress, but also their inner psychological and spiritual dysfunctions, which, is the, which are the roots of these issues. And Terry works on both sides. He works with the outer challenges and the, the real activities and interventions that we need, but he also always comes at it from a place of deep inquiry and learning and spiritual depth and wisdom. And he's one of the people who really is pioneering that, that interface, both inner work and depth and awareness and sensitivity, plus a deep commitment to actual and effective work in the world. And Terry is with us today at a particularly moving juncture in his life because on his 70th birthday on April 1st, April Fool's Day, Terry found he had metastatic lung cancer. At that time and since that time, he's approached this health challenge in the way he has approached the rest of his life as a spiritual practice, an opportunity for learning, and the chance to teach and contribute what he's learning. So, Terry, I'm really grateful you are here with us at this time. I hope this will be a format in which you can share your learning and your teaching as deeply and fully as possible to add to your already 
very large gifts of contribution and legacy. So welcome. Thanks so much, Roger. You're a dear, dear friend, and it's fun to find ourselves in this public interaction in addition to our personal friendship. And it's good to be with you again, John. We've known each other a long time, too. Terry, I'd like to, well, let me give a little background and say that some uh, over a decade ago, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And fortunately for me, two weeks later, that diagnosis was discovered to be an error. So I got a, a very intense, but also very inexpensive lesson in the challenges of uh, mortality and serious illness. And it was a dramatic learning experience. I guess the first thing I'd like to know is just how do you feel? I mean, how do you you wake up into this new condition, this, this challenge, this life phase? How do you feel during each day? Mm. Well, of course, that's always changing. Feelings are states that come and go. You know, sometimes the first thing I notice when I wake up is that I hurt in some place or that there's, I got to pee right away. <laughs> you know, like very ordinary things. But to the degree that I have free attention, which is often, I'm really noticing what's real. All of this is a call to get real. The collective predicament, my personal cancer journey, their predicaments. And there've been a lot of parallels between my personal health issue and my deep engagement. You know, it was maybe not quite seven years ago that I pretty much put everything else aside and refocused. Instead of teaching integral life practice, integral spiritual practice, I you know, through my own personal services, LLC, uh, you know, for-profit mode, I put everything aside to write a new Republic of the Heart and then to refocus everything into the nonprofit of the same name. And it felt to me and does continue to how I feel right now that it's very hard for us to get really real, for me to get really real, for every single individual to get really real. And it's an ongoing process. We're all tending at some level in ourselves to be a little full of it. And you shed a skin and discover another layer and another and another. And to the degree that I'm able, I'm opening into the miracle of the present moment, which is overwhelmingly beautiful and a cause for joy and gratitude and wonder. And, and I've been really learning to trust more and more. So I feel a bit like I'm on a knife's edge where there are a lot of things kind of coming at me with, you know, that have access to my throat, you might say. And this is catching me by my very breath. It's, it, it's cancer in my lungs, but it's not technically lung cancer. It's a very mysterious, rare, undifferentiated pleomorphic sarcoma is the best name they have for it. But it's more or less a, it's all about it being very aggressive and elusive and not having any standard known effective 
scientific medical treatments. And so I've had to spend a lot of time in the not knowing and in often thinking I'm going to hear something. You've been with me in this journey, Roger, thinking, oh, when, when we meet with the oncologist, we'll find out. Or, oh, no, wait, we have to wait a couple of weeks for another set of tests, and then we'll know something more. But of course, we have been into this journey now for five plus months. And at the deepest level, <laughs> don't know still. We know that it may be very, very rapidly and aggressively taking me out of this life. We know that it's really hard for me to breathe. I don't feel good doing much. If I walk even across my house, I'll get out of breath often or do simple tasks like trying to do the wash or water the plants or, you know, just the most ordinary parts of living. I'm, I'm, I'm out of breath. So that's partly how I feel. But it just reminded me of the wonder of existence. And so it's actually been one of the most radiantly happy times of my life. And it's kind of crazy, but I'm, you know, you're grateful to the stern teacher, even though you get whacked, you know, it's waking you up. He's, you know, this is all dedicated to purpose that I trust and I'm, feeling a great deal of intimacy with the love and bliss that is. We have lots and lots of inadequate names and we end up saying the word God and misunderstanding each other quite a bit using it, but it's a name that works for me and I feel very close to God these days. Mm. Mm. Uh, Terry, as you might remember about March, four years ago, I had a massive heart attack. Uh, I was in Grand Junction, Colorado, driving from Texas to Colorado to go to our home in southern Utah. And it was just me and my dog. And I was working out at a gym. I came out and I was like, oh, I'm massive. When you say massive, the artery completely collapsed. All I could think about was my dog being abandoned in a motel room. So I got in my car, instead of calling 911. And uh, drove 3.8 miles behind this old guy going really slow. <laughs> I was like, okay, bit of patient. And I got there. Finally, I called. Uh, I called 911, and uh, they met the manager. Had met my dog and fell in love with her. You know, the night before. So that was all squared away. Then I was like, okay, I can die now. Just <sighs> through the, you know, the ambulance, all that scene, and uh, I was just like, I'm a god person too. You know, I'm comfortable with that. And I was like, okay, God, I wasn't really scared. Just, this is it. This is it. It's okay. And, uh, yeah. So I guess I went for my dog first and God second. But, you know, I think, uh, I think he might forgive me for that. And, or she, then they, they put a stint in, they go up through up here, uh, down by your crotch, and comes in, and when it hit, it just all of a sudden, it just hit with this oxygen. I was like, oh, I'm still here. And I was thinking, I said, thank you guys, you saved my life, I appreciate it. You know, the whole team there. So they took me to the ICU, and I was about, had about five hours of extreme clarity. I said, maybe I am dying, because sometimes they say you get this clarity before death, and a lot of my emotional stuff cleared up, and just felt love and oh god, I had to call some people, make sure 
you know, that I had squared away. Intellectually, it was very, very clear. And that was five, five hours in. It was like I got hit in the chest with a mule, you know, kick. And then, oh, okay. <sighs> Started working back from there. But um, I cared about others before I cared about myself, which is nice to find out. I was okay with God. You know, I was like, okay, I've been hanging out with you a long time, and here we are. So uh, one time, and I'll be quiet, but I had an experience, a spiritual experience, and it was like the oracles were open up to me. Okay, and I said, okay, I get to ask a question. John, don't screw this up. And I said, well, what about death? And God said very clearly, I will be there. And I was just like, okay. That's enough. I don't need any more than that. So, yeah. Thank you. I remember you're telling me that story in, in Hungary, probably three years ago. It was really fresh, and you were very tender, and very vulnerable. That tenderness and that vulnerability, that nearness to heartbreak and tears are not the only facet, not the only flavor, but very much a central quality, or even maybe it's a threshold or ingredient. I don't even know the right words to use, but this getting real, it isn't a mental clarity. It, it is, it does include some mental clarity, absolutely, but by, by no means focused there or limited to that. And there's a kind of heart intimacy with ourselves and with I me. Mean, for me, I, I'm in grieving. I'm in grieving for the stability of the climate of just my local bioregion and, and larger bioregion, the planet as a whole, and all of the incredibly, incredibly beautiful, divine, tender, vulnerable, glorious expressions of our amazing human family and, and, and much more than human, this family of non-humans and humans and, and, and so much that I love and that is beautiful that is now destabilized and perhaps going, you know, going through a, a profound transformation that probably involves a fair amount of destruction and suffering and also that remains radiantly beautiful and amazing and deserving of grateful, amazed appreciation. Even, you know, like a wildflower. I mean, if you're appreciating a wildflower, you're all, you can't forget that it's gonna wilt pretty soon. <laughs> they don't last very long. We are like that. And everything we love is like that. So there's something poignant and tender and heartbreaking about getting real relative to my personal mortality, relative to yours, relative to our collective predicament too. Terry, you've used the phrase uh, several times, and emphasized the importance of getting real. What is, what's, the, what's that mean for you? What's that experience? Uh, clearly it's impactful. Can you, can you sh give us a feel for what that experience is like for you? Yeah, well, I think that it, it's more of an injunction, you know, than necessarily always a single 
experience, but it's, I mean, when I'm busy with my mind figuring things out, like I'll wake up some morning and it'll be like, oh yeah, I've got this and that and the other thing to do. So I've got to get moving a little faster and gee, what's the weather? And gosh, checking in, do I have the energy to get that much done by that time? And when am I going to need to plan my rest? And I'm a guy in a situation trying to manage a situation. I'm a separate one in a world of separate others and things can go better or worse. I can succeed to some degree, fail to some degree. And then there's a letting go. Usually it involves some relaxation, you know, the breath, some yielding of the habits of contraction and mental focus. And I will, in a way that is sometimes sort of surprising, often entirely second nature, the unspeakable, ineffable, amazing grace of existence. And I'll feel overwhelmed with, with gratitude and also, you know, the nearness of death. It's, I don't know that I'm going to die. You know, I mean, th 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 this could go a lot of ways. It's like in basketball, you know, it's a loose ball. It sort of looks bad for the home team here, but it ain't over till it's over, you know? And so there's, there's, and yet death is, you know, my last prognosis suggestion. I could only have weeks. I don't, you know, it's, 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 it's funny to live in a, unknown that as it's it, things have moved a lot faster than I had expected all along in this journey. And I'm seeming to fall apart and go heading straight for the end of the tunnel that people talk about, you know, that way quicker than I dreamed. And of course, there have been many moments of like, whoa, I thought I had more time than that, you know, like the, just the sense of surprise but then the like you said you know if it's my time i want to go well i don't just want to it's not merely an aspiration but it's an instinctual recognition that i that the only way to be with it is not to be in you know i don't want to waste a minute being in resistance to reality to what is and so there's a getting real and that is allowing myself to inherit and inhabit and whole, my whole being to be shifted in real relationship with what is. And what is, is so wonderful. I mean, it is everything, anyone. It is the essence of enjoyment. It is the essence of creativity. It is the essence of gratitude, it is the essence of wonder, it is the essence of love, it is the essence of everything good. And it's right here. And it's never further, you know, than it's never anywhere else. There's no else. And that I'm real when that's close and, and that carries with it, you know, the tears of maybe I won't get a chance to see you again, to see other friends again. Maybe I won't. Maybe I don't have time to finish the things that are important to get done, the things that are 
uh-oh, if I don't have much time, I want to get this done and that done. Maybe I don't even get them done. I don't know. My son, man, he's young. I want him to have me in his life to meet the challenges that are still to come. I want to enjoy, you know, don't have any grandkids yet. I don't want to miss out. You know, there's everything like very personal. And then there's like this hurting world needs. Yeah, I have, a lot of people tell me I'm offering something that's helping them. And I want to, I feel this invitation, you know, like, I can surrender to death, but I can surrender to not getting out of here so easy and doing the hard work of making a contribution. And that kind of surrender might even ask more of me and maybe be more the point. And, and maybe there is some more healing of the Terry habit and the Terry residues of early life wounding and all the stuff. And maybe in the learning, uh, I can co-participate in a, miracle and and dying is a miracle and recovering would be a miracle it's all and you know that sense of wonder that you have before miracles right Mm. yeah terry do you find that you're you've alluded to this but i'd love to hear you say more about the way your values and priorities have changed in the light of this diagnosis yeah, it seems like a good question, and it's hard for me immediately. I almost don't feel like they've changed that much, you know. <laughs> Actually, you know, as, as, I, as I put out the question, I, I suddenly realized, well, for a person like yourself who's been living as a, a full contemplative life, so many hours, months, years spent in deep contemplation of life and purpose and meaning, I wonder if the any reorientation and values in the light of light of your mortality might be a lot less for you than for most people. It might be so. I certainly feel I you know what's really shifted is that before this shocking diagnosis, because I was just by the way, I I I was turning 70 and I had a paunch, but I was pretty fit. I was in pretty good shape and I paid attention to my health and I was not. I and those around me were shocked that I would have such a far progressed cancer so suddenly, you know, it was it was very unexpected. So I I, I did go through a dramatic shift and it was right away in the hospital. I, I you know, by the way, you were there, Roger, for, for this. Let me, let me take a moment to celebrate your friendship. Roger and I went uh, hiking with a dear friend, Juliana Ballesteri, on, on this very demanding kind of camelback hike with beautiful views of the bay. And three weeks later, we went on another hike out into the marshlands. It was just completely level. And it was during that second hike, just even three weeks later, that my symptoms had just come on. They came on, shortness of breath was the main symptom, only nine or 10 days before I was hospitalized. And it was Roger saying, wait a second, I saw you three weeks ago, I'm seeing you now, something's going on, you need a workup. And that was what propelled me into the pulmonology office and landed me, oddly enough, on my birthday, on April Fool's Day in the hospital, 
with this beginning of this drama. And then the next day was Good Friday, so crucifixion day. And the next day was Passover, the ordeal of the Jewish people. And the next day was Easter, resurrection. And so all the archetypes, it was, it was I really felt as if God, you know, and whatever, we, we can't help but create story because we're story making beings. We can't help but impute meaning. And in my practice, I appreciate and don't react to that. And I see through stories and let go of imputed meanings. You know, both are true at the same time. But it really felt in, in the meaning side of the street, like God was kind of saying, hey, do I have your attention? This is a sacred message, buddy. It's landing to you, you know, three score years and 10 is the biblical measure of a human lifetime. And on the very day that you turn, boom. And with all these resonances of these holidays, kaboom. And, and then I just realized at the core neurosis, you might say, that I still was needing to be released from was this sense of burden in a way that the world's a mess. How is it going to change? Where is the resource that'll turn that around? It must be in the latent heroism in the hearts of human beings. It must be in our ability to love each other. It must be that our subjectivity, that our choice has some connection to this moment of collective peril and choice. Uh, how, how, how else can it be? And the feeling then that, gosh, with all the gifts I've been given, you know, I was raised in a pretty enlightened, intentional community. I spent years with a great adept realizer, profoundly gifted in that. I, the amazing years and close to Ken and you guys in the integral movement, I, I, and, and on and on and on, you know, I, I, I've been able to be surrounded by some of the most wise, enlightened, generous, beautiful human beings I was aware of. And so I've lived this incredibly blessed life. And with all those advantages, don't I have something to give? And couldn't that make a difference? But how much of a difference am I making? Maybe not really enough. And gosh, how can I do more? And that was the burden. Like, I, I, I'm not quite, you know, making as much of a mark here and things are falling apart and sl sliding away so fast, geez. And so there was a heaviness in my field from that. And this cut across it was like, ah, final buzzer in the basketball game, baby. And it, it really felt like, and then as it happened, there were just so many people expressing love and affection and appreciation and good wishes and prayer circles and praise and just everything. And I realized in a way God was kind of saying, you know, you did good enough. Call it a win. You don't <laughs> exist anyway. Just relax, you know. And I just felt light as a feather since that. That really shifted things. So my values shifted in that it be the sense of urgency and burden that I was unnecessarily bringing to my contemplation of our collective mortality shifted. I still feel that we carry 
a really important obligation. And it is important to take it personally. And there is meaning and there is purpose. And lightheartedness is a super important virtue. And I was a little short on that until this hit. And I've been really opened up. And so that is the biggest shift I can name and point to. Me, Terry, I, I just hold up the mirror for a second that I think that that burden you felt, maybe still feel, is the noble burden of a good man. It's not a bad thing, brother. You know? Well, we can bear that in wiser and wiser ways and more skillfully, and I'm learning. And that's the other thing. I get to learn, you know, I, I get to, like, what do I want to do? I want to, like, we're giving this online course calling it brightening every darkness like in what moments i have i want to you know i want you to feel happier somehow or more clear or blessed in some way for having encountered me you know i want to mm. be in a brightening influence and that's how i feel about relationally but then i also just and, you know, it's like God is, you know, the, the, all the great, like the Sufi poetry, you know, it's like God's knocking on the door and, you know, will you accept the gift that's always waiting to be received that we turn away from? It's like, you know, here's, here's God right before us. And we're like, oh, yeah, there's everything else going on, you know, but we can't break down the barriers in our own being to be fully real real a living god is living us right now and everything that we've ever valued is right here right now wow 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 and let that in and let that reconfigure the cells of the body and the electrical fields and the nadis and the Sashumna and the meridians and the flows and the get real, you know, mm. that's, mm. yeah. And when we were talking uh, just over the last week, Terry, you mentioned as part of your practice, this even more powerful recognition now of, of that our lives are centered in, or we are in in this moment only. At the same time, you point out, there are so many little distractions. We get pulled away so much. And I think that's a recognition that hits anyone who's done contemplative practice, meditation or yoga. But you said it in a, and you've known that for many years, obviously as a principle, but there was something about this experience, this confrontation with mortality, which sounded as though it had revivified that recognition yeah really really you know it, it it's also that you know i've been tested well every one of us is tested one of the things that's important to say i mean there's a certain attention that people are putting on me right now because i have this terminal diagnosis and definitely some pain and suffering but there are people with fibromyalgia chronic fatigue lyme's disease ALS, all, I mean, awful, awful. And, and, and the ordinary, I mean, you know, a screwed up 
knee replacement surgery or whatever it is, you know, people suffer, everybody's hurting. And hurting is sometimes worse than death. You, you like you said, oh, if I'm gonna die, I'll die. But if, you're, if you've got screaming pain demanding your attention, that challenges you at another level. You know, the, the, the medical term mortality is often used with morbidity. Morbidity is illness, is suffer, is, is uh, symptoms. And they're not only physical. These, you know, you, you, you get one of these chronic pains conditions, you end up with anxiety disorders and stuff. I mean, we can be deranged by so many things. And so the, I know I'm not talking to a bunch of people who are sitting pretty in a completely immune, everything's okay kind of world. A lot of the people who are listening to our words right now are heroes of their own journeys. And sometimes those journeys are invisible to everybody around them. There's no celebration of them. I've got all the advantages of having, you know, lifetime of practice, loving communities, even local. I live in a community now where there's tremendous loving help available. People are making me meals and shopping for me and, you know, really making this easy. So I've got it good in a way. And there are people who have, you know, look at the refugees, millions and millions and more to come, climate refugees, the horrors that human beings are having to suffer. And for me to act as if my journey has this uniqueness, nobody else gets what I get. Oh, no, man, that's really narcissistic and not how I want to roll, not what I want to say or how I want to be. I think there's a way that we we wake up with a bit of a sob you know it's a line from Stephen Jenkinson in this time to wake up is to wake up with a sob and and I think there is a you know just a that like deep deep willingness to keep growing and learning in ways that make us more and more a resource in this circle of life energy that is circulating among this enormous human and more than human family as we go through our own collective confrontation with our moment of truth. It may be that this amazing, you know, however long we want to measure it, 13.8, it isn't really measured at that scale, or even the 3.1 million billion rather years of life on earth. But, you know, even if we have terrible, societal collapse, say to the point of human extinction, worst case, go ahead, face the worst, you know, like, let's just, if, if we're facing that, what it, it, it's an initiation, that's what I reckon, that's why seven years ago, I put everything else aside, because that initiation is an enormous moment in the journey of the whole human spirit. And it's initiating us into another level of maturity, potentially, if we're lucky, and, 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 and our relationship to one another, our loving connection to one another, our capacity to be intimate, capacity to get real, to get off it, to be less full of it, to just really heed and be penetrated by and be reconfigured by this life and death call. And the fact that that's landing in the very cells of my... I mean, I'm out of breath because I got all worked up and I spoke passionately and I'm like puffing. So it's, it's in my cells. 
And it just gives me an opportunity to maybe be with anyone else who's on the edge in whatever way. And we're all on the edge and we're on the edge together and we forget that we're together and we treat each other casually and we're unkind and we're thoughtless and we're careless and we're stupid and we desecrate the miracle of our own very existence in this moment and we can get real and we can get off it. And that's endless. It's not just the thing I said, it opens up a world of possibility. And I wanna live in that with others who are humble enough to be learning, not just thinking they already know. Wow. Wow, there's so much in what you said. And what the overarching theme is that I hear is your commitment to use this diagnosis and the confrontation with mortality as a spiritual challenge, an opportunity, and to use it to cultivate qualities such as compassion, the recognition that an awful lot of people are suffering right now. And to, to deepen yourself into, into life and contribution. Does that feel right? Yeah. 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 A deep bow to you. I, I know when I get sick, I know so usually it's the first couple of days of poor me, oh, this. And then there's finally the recognition maybe around day two or three, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I've got this minor infection or something, and there are people who have this and much worse who are on the streets and have no home and don't have access to physicians or medical care or pharmaceuticals or any other, or food. You know, it's like, and suddenly it goes, it's like a total flip to, oh my goodness. So it seems like, it seems like these confrontations can be used to firstly cultivate gratitude, as you've, been, you've pointed out. Second, to cultivate empathy and compassion, a reminder of the first noble truth of suffering. It's life, there's, there's suffering that comes with life, particularly an unenlightened life. And third, that at best it can cultivate compassion, empathy and compassion for First, just remembering the umpteen million people who are worse off and then cultivating some compassion for them and rethinking one's life in terms of, okay, what can I do? Yeah. Yeah, and then expressing that humility and self-awareness, you're lowering barriers that make it possible for me to feel closer to you, for our hearts to be consciously present to one another and to all of those who are suffering and who, how, and it's, we, we have this impulse to try to get everything right and to be perfect and to be an ideal ecological citizen or political citizen or whatever, you know, to embrace the virtue so we can be on we can be in the light, not like those people who are in the darkness, kind of like to try to align ourselves to the. <laughs> and there's something about really getting off it <laughs> that is part of getting real. And it's part of being able to be, we can love each other and we can receive each other's love a lot better when we get off all that. <laughs> 
Terry, is there a, I don't know if you've had a, a chance to reflect I mean, you've had, you've told me some of your stories over the years, fascinating story. Are there any things that you would have done differently? In my life altogether? Mm-hmm. Well, I would have, I would have woken up to the preposterousness of the cartoon character that is Terry maybe a little quicker and with a little more <laughs> humility and also self-compassion. And I would have been a less of a arrogant adolescent and I would have caused people to have to suffer my excesses and eccentricities and arrogance, you know, a little less. But I was aiming in the right direction the best I could. So in a way, you know, you can't, can't relive it don't need to worry about it. It's not something I think about. I did the damn best I could and mm-hmm. doing the best I can now. And it could be better and it could have been worse. And okay. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's beautiful. You look beautiful, by the way. I, I, I yeah, just, yeah. there's just a beauty coming from me. I'm basking in it. So thank you. I see. How are you? You said you were, as you look back on your life, you thought you were headed in the right direction. How would you describe that direction? What's the, what's your compass? You know, the ways that I would, would express it have certainly evolved a lot over the years. When I was three, my younger brother was born and he was, there was a terrible accident in the hospital. And when he was just a few days old, he was dropped on his head and his skull fractured. And he, to this day, has really severe dyslexia and some other neurological challenges. And I resented him. He, you know, I had this very happy family centered on me. I was the only child. All of a sudden he comes and my mom feels so upset and terrible and even guilty that she becomes unhappy and she's putting all her attention on him and they hire outside help to take care of me and I'm displaced and I was mean to him. And I woke up, you know, as I began to become self-aware and my brain began to myelinate when I was just 12 or 13. And I realized that I, I really didn't want to be this mean older brother. And I, you know, I was teasing him and just, proving that I had one up because he, he, he's actually an amazing, amazing guy. And he had a lot of intensity and he was in my face and he was in my face kind of saying, you are one evil mofo, you know, like he was, it was an accusation and it became, it was a deep wound. And I really just wanted to, to not be that jerk. I didn't want to be a mean jerk at all but what was it to be good? And so I think I began to get driven to try to be whatever good was. And my definitions of what good was were pretty primitive as a kid. But over time, they guided me in more or less a good direction. And it always was like, oh, so you wanna look good, but do you wanna be good? And, you know, like it, it would always take me deeper. And so it's taken me deeper and deeper and deeper, even to where the binaries of good and bad, a lot of things, are in the way of the truth of things. I mean, a lot of this has had to do with recognizing and waking up as the, I am the present moment. I am, I'm not separate from God. It is all one. 
and the and the ultimacy of good is the letting go of intentions and goods and ideas of my identity and my virtue and all the rest and and just allowing what is to live itself out through me for the heart of the mystery of existence to have these hands and feet and this voice and and to celebrate and worship thou that is true exult in the wonder i mean if we're among the last generations able to enjoy this absurd level absurd level of privilege that we all live in may we at least honor that somewhat and yeah so that's the directionality that i can trace in my own biographical history you know, it, it was it was a huge thing, of course, to encounter my my root guru, Adi Da, who is still. I mean, he it's a complex. Sometimes call it a bastard lineage because he he ended up denouncing or at least criticizing his own teachers, and he is widely seen as flawed in our culture, and it's been my choice to de-emphasize his role in my process because I don't want to get caught up in all these side conversations about, you know, I, I have a simple conversation that's pure and arguing about whether he's, you know, the greatest realizer of all time or a terrible narcissistic abuser or, you know, like you've got these competing narratives and I don't want to, let my life energy get absorbed in those side conversations and not doing anybody any good. But I, I, my heart confession is that I witnessed a miracle and God was transmitted to my heart through that vehicle, however imperfect anyone might think it is. And I am deepening into grateful communion with my heart master and recognizing him to be not separate from every heart master and Jesus and Mary and the tree of life and every great guru, you know, Gautama, Socrates. I'm in, you know, through that grace of having encountered a living adept, I'm intimate with all the whole shebang, I feel but mentioning him feels important, important to our honor, my teacher and my sources. The quest for good, when you said that, I think that's important. And I don't know how many lifetimes it takes you to get there, but that sounds like a, a really important something. And and looking back, I very similar to what you said, I would just have been kinder. I think the general thrust, I was a, a young fool looking for the good, and I made a lot of mistakes, but I, every day that I have, again, I keep, John, don't be this driven asshole, you know, be kind, and that seems to be really important. Sounds very simple, and yet, as we all know, it's a, <laughs> it's an ongoing life practice, and I, I'm reminded of uh, Aldous Huxley, one of the great great thinkers of the 20th century who towards the end of his life said it's 
It's very humbling to have spent one's life in a study of the human condition and possibilities and have no better advice than try to be a little kinder. <laughs> yes, I remember that. That's so good. Yeah. That's so uh, good. You know, there's another beautiful story of uh, the Kamapa, who's uh, one of the very high-ranking Tibetan Lama teachers, guides. And when the new regent was appointed in Chogrim Trungpa's lineage, the Kamapa came to visit to do a so-called black hat ceremony, which is a very high blah, 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 mucky muck ritual. It's like one of the great rituals of Tibetan Buddhism. And uh, the Kamapa met the, the new regent to be and said, uh, "Oh, oh! This is, now that you're going to be holding this very important role, I have some really special teachings I'd like to give you." It's like, "All oh, right, far out." So, so the so the regent was thinking, oh, "I'm going to get the, I'm going to get the you know the real goods, the the deepest possible teachings." And the Kamapa was there for to be there for five days, and one day passed, another day passed. And, it was halfway through the time and nothing had happened. So the regent uh, said, uh, Your Holiness, you're going to, going to uh, give me some teaching. He said, Ah, yes, you must come for tea before the ceremony on the last day. <laughs> so, so the regent came for tea and they chatted and <laughs> passed time and nothing happened. And, just <laughs> and finally the regent said, uh, Your Holiness, you have to go in a few minutes. You're going to give me some special teachings. And the come up and said, Oh, yes, yes. Now that you're in this important role and guiding so many people, it is terribly important that you always be very kind. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I heard first time I, when I first heard that, I thought, ah, and then it's like over the years, it's gotten okay. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds pretty good advice. Yeah. Ken Wilber often quotes the Dalai Lama, His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, saying if you want to be, you want to help others practice compassion, if you want to be happy yourself, practice that, that found compassion, you know, is really kind of the, whatever, the aperture through which kindness flows. <laughs> and as I look at your life, Terry, you know, your life has really been about going in deep and going in as deeply as you can in order to bring the gifts and recognitions out to the world. And your life has really been about uh, been a life of service, both in teaching and in activism. And I think you uh, exemplify in our dialogue today, as in your life, that we have a very screwed up idea about service and contribution. We usually, in our culture, think of it as a sacrifice. But what you've stated and exemplified is that service uh, can be a source of joy and deep, profound satisfaction. Of course, that, there's a whole research field now on the benefits of service, showing that people who uh, live contributory lives are healthier, psychologically more stable, and even live longer. So... Sorry, I'm not helping that statistic. Right, well, You're messing with our stats, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but it does, I do, say, you know, and clearly we all feel the, the joy you're, you're effulging <laughs> as you reflect on your life and, and on mortality and how you can contribute more at this time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you. You know, one, one thing you touched on there and what you said that I'd like to, for some years I've noticed that in, you know, if I'm offering a teaching or doing a talk or having a particularly momentous or important or just humanly significant conversation with somebody, I kind of want to dig deeper and find some, whatever it is, you know, can I be brilliant or can I be, you know, like I want to really bring my best to some moment. It seems to call for a little something extra. And I, when I look for it inside, where's the, where does it come from? It's uh, my own genuine motive of generosity. Like if I can connect to, oh, this can create something really good for this person. Like the pleasure I can take kind of vicarious pleasure in their benefiting there that, that gives me energy to do things that I wouldn't be able to find otherwise. So generosity is like, feels like no accident that it has a lot of etymological connections to generativity. Beautiful. Yeah. Is there something you feel you now want to let people know as a result of what you've, you're experiencing? Is there some, you know, you've taught so much, but is the what you want to teach different in any way? Well, I, I, I want us all to begin to more deeply and more fully recognize that we have a tremendously strong impulse to try to put a period at the end of the sentence, to think we we want to think we know. We want to draw a conclusion. And it's in the not knowing. It's in the inquiry. It's in the curiosity. It's in the humility, the beginner's mind, that we create a real opening. And all the things that we think we know, all of the ways that we ironically distance Oh, we all know such and such. And there's this way the ego grabs wisdom and turns it into a tool of its own self-aggrandizement and immunity. We become immune. We can't be touched in that place where we think we know. Well, get off it. Get real. Don't know. Because we don't know. Humanity has done its best for all these years, and here we are, and something more is needed. So let's bend a knee to something greater than ourselves and listen. So once again, we come back to the mystery. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, one last thing I wanna say, and I say I feel so blessed right now to be hanging out with you, it's really odd. And Roger, it's great. But one time, one of my encounters with God, I was really pissed. You know, I must have been Jewish in another life because I wasn't praying. I was arguing. Well, you big son of a bitch. I could be a better God than you. I wouldn't have done all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. You know, all my friends that I love, I'm going to lose my parents, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, the voice, as clear as I've ever heard it, just said this. There is no loss. 
Okay. Yeah. Things are more terrible than we can bear, and they're so okay. So, so okay. The horrors and radical okayness of it all. It's like, it's, it's beyond our understanding. We are standing before the sacred altar of the incomprehensible. And, and may we be its servants and its hands and feet and voice and all that other good stuff. I mean, may we, may we help. I mean, one of my, my current work with the nonprofit, A New Republic of the Heart, has as one of its theses that we're all beginning to recognize that we have to be a new kind of human being, that we have to evolve, that there's another stage of human development. And that it's not something, it is something we can abstractly study and learn some things about the features. That's where Ken and the integral movement have made important contributions and modern, I mean, it's all kinds of ways that people are on the edge, you know, thinking it through, figuring it out, sense-making, all of that. But the real work is in trying to do it, trying to be it, live it. Not, not just describe it, not talk it, not talking school, but living it. And that's like action inquiry. You do your best to try to live as a next stage human being. And the world gives you feedback because you don't fully pull it off. And you try to do it with others. You find friends that are best they can trying to do the same thing and you do it together. And together, some really beautiful things happen and you fall short in some important ways. You know, it's, not, it's a mixed result. And so you're learning by doing, that's action inquiry. So you, oh, I get the feedback. Okay, so I'll try to be that next stage human with you in some new ways. I'll try to take those lessons to heart. We'll, we'll revise our design specs for our experiment here. So I think that we're all engaging in social experiments. That's what we do in the nonprofit. We, we try to be that next stage human together and we succeed and we fail and we learn and we adjust. And I think it's a whole field. And I think as this field becomes self-aware, the field of learning by doing, of action inquiry, of us trying to be, be better next stage human beings and learning as we go. That's one of the most important things going on in the world right now. And it's something that we can make some contribution to, just you and me and everybody who's hearing us. We can engage the experiment of being the most enlightened, generous, kind, amazing human beings and doing it together and finding new synergies. And yes, doing some sense-making, but not trying to one-ups our one-upsmanship ourselves to be the best and the coolest and the, you know, the cool kids, but to really be deeply humbly learning as we go. And that, that feels like a definition, of one of the most important things that we all can do in the midst of this, what Joanna Macy calls the great unraveling. Things do seem to be falling apart and maybe they are, and maybe our destiny is to, be servants of a great hospice project and that, you know, heartbreak and, and, and difficulty and the stench of dying bodies and all kinds of horrors 
are part of our destiny and it's really going to be tough. And maybe even in the midst of that, there'll be joys unaccountable for and, and, and just, a, you know, revelations that we can't even imagine. And there's something about a willingness to take the whole trip. We've been conscripted to some kind of mystery school that's taking us into uncharted territory and to really do what it's asking. We need each other. And we've never really lowered our barriers to one another to really work together in the ways that are potential. And so we've got a lot of opportunities and, uh, and that's a field of study. And it's one that can have its own institutions and conferences and publications, and we can advance best practices. And maybe we reach some critical mass of interpersonal coherence and we crack the code of more rapid social transformation. And we blow our minds and everybody's minds and we pull our fat out of the fire at the last minute in some amazing way. And whether we do or not, at least we're doing the good work as we go. And, you know, that's, you know, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> what strikes me, Terry, as you have been speaking today is the way you hold many perspectives and polarities. You are very open to your own life-threatening illness and its implications. You're very open to the our planet's life-threatening uh, situation and implications. And yet you also uh, managed to hold an appreciation of the miracle and joy of life and use both those things to motivate you and, and for you to call others, call us all to some sort of contribution and service. And it's all, you're holding it all in the great mystery. And it's, it's beautiful to see so many things and polarities and challenges and gifts held simultaneously. It's not often people hold all those at the same time. So thank you. Thanks for naming that. Terry, is there anything else you would like to say? I feel like I've said so much. I've given us a lot, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Terry, thank you very much indeed. It's been a priceless gift to have this conversation with you and to, to be able to share your lifetime of reflection and exploration and dedication to bring, bring the gifts, the fruition, the gifts of all that work uh, to the community listening to this podcast. And also, I'm grateful that at a time when you're wrestling with mortality and, and feeling even deeper into the great questions of life and death, that you, you're sharing that process with us. So thanks very much. And for those of you who would like to get more of Terry, a good place to start would be with his books, uh, such as New Republic of the Heart and also his uh, website and institute, New Republic of the Heart, which is taking on multiple projects to empower people to be effective instruments of change at this vitally needed time. Terry, thanks so much for all you do and for having been with us today. Thank you. Today's episode was brought to you by iWake Technologies. 
Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.